Welcome to the Earn Your Edge podcast. I'm Corey Lemberg from Altus Performance, and we are still holed up at home right now. We're taking a break from coaching while we exercise some social distancing. I hope that you're doing the same and staying safe. These are certainly difficult times for a lot of people, and we're just working as hard as we can to reframe. It's something that we've discussed in a lot of previous episodes, and we've heard from so many of our guests. High performers figure out a way to respond to challenges in really productive ways, and, and they're creative in their ability to turn an obstacle on its head. And one of the ways that we're trying to do that is use this force break as an opportunity to record as many episodes as we can. We've got some really good guests lined up. All of a sudden, it's a lot easier to coordinate schedules with a lot of these players that we've wanted to have on. We're recording with a U.S. Open champ and current top 10 player in the world, as well as a PGA Tour Rookie of the Year just in the next couple days, and we've got a few others lined up. And in addition to recording, we're trying to use this downtime to study and learn as much as we can. And with that in mind, we've got Aaron Dill of Titleist as our guest this week. If you've ever wanted to learn anything about wedges and equipment, Aaron is the absolute expert in the world. He is the Titleist Tour rep that the best players in the world trust with their wedges. And in this chat, Cam and Aaron dig deep into some of those wedge design concepts. He provides some good education on the new SM8 line of wedges from Titleist. And Aaron shares some of the stories that he has from his time on the road and working closely with PGA Tour players. So here is your chance to upskill your knowledge and to use your downtime productively. There's much to learn from Aaron, and we're excited to share some insights with you. So please enjoy episode 61 of the Earn Your Edge podcast with Cameron McCormick and Aaron Dill. The Total Golf Trainer line of products are designed to provide instant feedback for golfers of all skill levels to help solve a wide variety of swing issues. And we haven't really seen an issue that it can't solve from path issues to improving club face control and even body mechanics. Pretty much any issue that you have, the Total Golf Trainer can help. The 3.0 kit is the first multi-tool training aid that is completely custom to your golf swing with the easy-to-use adjustable training rods that can be attached to your club or your body, and you can increase or decrease the difficulty level so anyone from juniors to beginners to pros will all benefit. We've enjoyed getting creative to find all the different ways that we can use the Total Golf Trainer, and they've got some great videos on their website that show it in use. So to learn more and watch those videos on how to improve your game with the Total Golf Trainer, visit TotalGolfTrainer.com or find them on social media at Total Golf Trainer. But now, on to our episode. We've had the great pleasure of interviewing winners in many sports, world champions, world number ones, and now we have the world's number one wedge designer, builder, grinder, buffer, stamper, essentially anything to do with wedges. Aaron Dill is the man. Aaron, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Cameron. So first off, in order to create some context for our listeners that don't know you or what you do, how would you introduce yourself and explain to a stranger at a cocktail party what it is that you do? The, <laughs> that's a great question. It's hard to, hard to describe. If, uh, you know, if you're a golf nerd like I am, and I think like a lot of your listeners probably are, we're the pit crew that supports the PJ Tour every single week. We uh, have a trailer that we take from venue to venue. And we're there to help these guys with their equipment needs based on conditions, based on maybe some coaching differences, ball flight issues, spin, launch, you name it. So we're there to support those guys and give them the best tools so that they can play their best golf. Let's take a deeper dive to give a bit of backstory. Can you tell me how we got to this point where the best players in the world put their trust in you to engineer the tools they use to literally compete for millions of dollars each week? I mean, it's not exactly a career path that a kid in high school can map a direct line towards, right? 
No, it's it, the golf industry small. And I think anybody who's in it, they, they know that they know that um, jobs like mine are, are difficult to get. And I think for anybody who does get one, they try and hold on for as long as possible. So, you know, for, I'm very fortunate to be doing what I'm doing. And I was very fortunate to be working uh, for the Akushnet company at such a young age for Mr. Vokey and just kind of be able to pick his brain and work with him and have the opportunity to be out here. But it, it is difficult. I started in 2005. I was working on the Fitting Works van, which is a small van that we took up and down the West Coast with Glenn Mahler, who now runs our Oceanside Test Facility. And that was kind of a mini approach to what the tour van life was like. You know, we drove it up and down and made clubs for, for a lot of great players, AMs, pros. We worked at tour events. And that's how I got to know Bob Vokey really well was, you know, he, he would come out to tour events and he would teach me stuff. You know, we would talk. We would spend time together, let me pick his brain. And then when I had free time, I'd go down to his office and work with his crew. And that's kind of how our relationship began. And then in 2007, he asked me to come work for him on tour. And I've been doing it ever since. So it's been a pretty wild journey. And, you know, I think for anybody who, who works out here on the tour, to get the respect and the trust of the players, it just takes a lot of time. And, you know, I've been doing it for years and years now. So I've been fortunate to, to earn that respect and, and uh, be able to work with some of the best in the world. You lead me directly to my next question. In fact, there are a couple of threads that I want to pull on before we dive deep into a tool conversation. The first of which is the trust and responsibility thread going back to your comment, the world's best players trust in you and Bob, along with others on your team to outfit them with the tools they need to hit some very high value shots. Is this a responsibility, something that you think about or at a larger level, something that Voki, uh, the team Voki thinks about and discusses? Well, I think it's the foundation of, of who we are and what we stand for. Anybody who knows Bob Voki, especially the way I do, they know that he does not compromise performance, feel sound options profiles that there are there there are certain things that that he stands for that is the the foundation of what we do and i think that's a big part of our success and I, i'm very fortunate i get to work for the guy and i get to walk along the path that he's paved and it makes my job that much easier you know that i get to give away something that says vokey design <laughs> or or titleist you know for that matter it makes my job really really easy and then over time as you work with the guys you know those guys develop a trust with you and then they share that information with their peers. And before you know it, you know, you're, you're working with new guys every week and you know, that's kind of how it, how, it, how it starts. Yeah. The second thread that I wanted to pull on before that dive into the tool conversation is the engineering side. Is there a story that stands out in your mind that you could share with the listeners that puts context around how good the best in the world are at telling the difference in what's in their hands? Yeah. Well, there are a lot of different ways you can approach that topic. You know, these guys are really very, very sensitive. They're the best at what they do. They can tell you whether or not a club is off on lie by a half and sometimes less of a degree. They can tell you if their bounces are off by a degree or so. They can tell you a lot of interesting things that you might not pick up on until you dive deeper into into the product they really challenge us to be better at what we do. And that's that's part of the process. I mean, it takes us years to develop a line and it takes us a lot of feedback, personal feedback that we get from our players that basically gives us direction. It educates us. It shows us where we want to be and where we want to go and, and what our goals are. It, and we couldn't do that without them. So there really is no great example to say like, hey, you know, I, I worked with, with player, you know, player A and, and he, he kind of opened up my eyes. Honestly, it's a, it's a collaborative effort between everybody that we work with because i can't take the information from just one and say that's the gospel i need i need to to really dig deep into everybody's minds and, and get that information from everybody 
So take us back in time then, or in fact, we'll start with current events and move back in time because I'm curious, those current events being the SM8 released to retail market back in January. But the back in time question is, I'm curious as to the timeline from idea to CAD to player road testing and ultimately live play on the various tours. Yeah, so I'll give you a great example of, of how we get to some of the the techie things that we discover in each line. So we we really got into CG studies when we designed SM6, and that was quite a while ago. When we designed SM6, we realized that if we move CG up the face, it would help on-off center hits or um, hits above grooves 2, 3, and 5, 2, 3, 4, and 5, which is kind of that sweet spot. Ball speeds were dropping, spins were erratic, carry numbers were erratic, we needed to figure out a better way to combat some of those issues. And in doing so, we learned that placing CG in the right place was really important. And in doing so, we learned a lot from 6. Guys loved SM6. As we designed 6 and as we got into 7, we were beginning to realize that when we designed certain soles that were a little bit bigger, like our K grind and our D grind, we had some players making comments like, it's a little bit difficult for me to manage my ball flight and keep it down through these lower windows that really my eye wants to see. And we learned that studying CG on a deeper level, we could help guys do that by exploring a third CG location, which is CG forward and back. And we were just trying to basically reduce the dynamic lofting aspect we get when we swing a a golf club that has a bunch of weight high in the top line to make that CG point high. We wanted to reduce that dynamic lofting aspect so guys had more control and they could manage their their trajectory and their spin and keep their their carry numbers right on. And that's part of that study is, you know, we 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 design a line. It takes us two and three years sometimes to to design 23 models that we want to give to the world. And every time we do that, we come up with something really great. But at the same time, we continue to learn. And that's the baseline of how we get better at what we do is we we create something that we think is great. And we learn from that experience and we decide that we're going to change it again and we're going to make it better. And we're not going to sacrifice the things that we know our tour players find important. One point of clarification, I think some of our listeners are probably asking Siri CG and Siri's coming up empty. So since you have the domain expertise, I won't give the explanation or definition of CG, but I will allow you. Yeah, so there's a there's a center of gravity. And we, we hear a lot about this with, with drivers. You know, we, we want CG or center of gravity to be in certain places to help us create launch and spin numbers that match our needs. And the same thing applies to to wedge play. You know, we you could put it in the very center of the golf club, you could move it inside, outside, you can move it up and down the face. Finding the right spot is essential in how we create certain things. So, you know, you look at you look at our 46 through 52s and that CG is lower. There's more mass down low where you're making that solid contact and that's to help us not only, you know, work on our trajectories, but it also helps us increase ball speed because as you know, our lofts and irons are getting stronger every day, and we mm-hmm. need to do a better job of making wedges that, that match up with those with those distance gaps. Once you start increasing the loft, we start to get this diminishing return in performance because the ball is very oblique in its strike. It's, it's glancing, it slides, it skids. And, we, you know, we could make great swings, and, you know, the ball is going to fly a little higher sometimes, and you're going to kind of scratch your head and wonder why. And that's just due to the nature of loft and the grooves and just dynamic lofting and all these little things. And that's that's kind of our, our, our focus and our goals is how do we put weight in the right places so that when we make mistakes or when we hit it high or when we hit it off center, that we can get a decent result. And that's always something we're studying is we're not always trying to make wedges or golf clubs that, that help us hit flop shots and hit crazy shots. We're trying to make guys better 
trying to make this game a little bit more enjoyable. And we can do that by putting weight in the places that we need it the most. Mm -hmm. And then one of the marketing pieces, one of the design features, I guess is probably a better way to say it, that then turns into differentiator in the product is the uh, CG forward of the face. Can you explain the logic behind the forward of the face and how that is an influencer on the club face wanting to square? Yeah. So again, going back to SM6, you know, we created SM6, we moved the CG up the face. Mm -hmm. In doing so, we learned that moving that weight up the face could cause some dynamic lofting issues. You know, having that much weight backwards would make that face kick open a little bit and some guys would hit some high for us. But it was an issue that we needed to explore, we needed to study, and we needed to improve upon. And so we took years and years to study it. And, you know, SM8 is really the end result of, of the testing and the studies that we did. And we did that by moving more mass forward. We we went back to standard top lines. Anybody who plays Vokey Wedges SM6 or 7, when they get to a an SM8, they're going to look at the top lines and they're going to go, whoa, these are kind of classic. These are kind of cool. You know, we're trying to blend those two things, the modern and the classic look. And SM8 has that thinner top line. And some people asked me when we first brought it up, they said, did you guys abandon your you know, your ideas on center of gravity and moving weight around. And it was just the opposite. We took it a step further. So, you know, we thinned the top lines to move more mass forward. And then we actually included a big chunk of tungsten steel in the toe of each one. And in doing that, we need to make sure that we balanced it out. Our hosels were just a, just a little bit longer. So more of that mass is forward. And in doing so, we actually, we actually increased MOI by 7% and we made the wedge feel softer. So we really just wanted to move that weight forward. But in return, we actually got three things out of it. We moved it forward, <laughs> we softened the material, and we increased MOI. So, you know, the, the general comments we get from guys are, man, these things feel really nice. Um, the wedge feels really stable. It feels like it just kind of stays in its place. And that, even though, you know, even though that wasn't the goal of what we were trying to do, we were just trying to manage ball flight better, we ended up learning a lot more about that. So we really lucked out on this new line. Yeah, a three for one, nice Christmas gift there. Yes. And tell me the benefit, the performance benefit of the lower lofted wedges having deeper, narrower grooves versus those higher lofted wedges having shallower and wider grooves as it relates to spin. Yeah. So when I first came on board in, in 2007 with the Tour, you know, we had those really, really fun box, you know, high spin grooves. Mm -hmm. And in 10, when we had to make the, the conversion to the to the new score line, we studied and studied and studied, and we realized, you know, we we probably will never be able to get back what we what we used to have with those fun grooves. But same time, we were able to produce a groove that that helped guys manage and control their golf balls. But we could get we could get plenty of spin. But we learned that you know sometimes you have to have a couple different grooves in the line to to get the benefits of what you really need. And when you talk about the stronger lofts, which is 46 or 54. We've got this slightly narrower and deeper scoreline. Because of that less loft, it's more direct on the golf ball. So you get good quality compression. The golf ball and that face, they're really working together. So you get good spin numbers, balls coming off at good ball speeds. There's a lot of good stuff happening, right? Mm -hmm. And you can compress moisture and grass clippings and debris into that, and the ball is still can get inside those grooves and, and create the good spin. But once you start again moving that loft above 54, so that 56 through 62. Now we got to figure out a way to get that ball to get in that groove a little bit more. And we do that by making the groove slightly wider in those lofts and a little bit shallower. So you can still displace the material, but it's really about how we can best get that cover the golf ball to get inside the uh, in, inside the groove, have that groove edge radius, grab the golf ball and create the spin, the friction that it needs to to create stopping power. And so we, you know, we studied and we studied and studied, which we always do. We always 
had these deep studies about how we can do it. And we learned that we needed two different score lines. That was the best way we can get performance in each loft. One of the more common questions that we get from Altus clients and listeners is how do I spin it like a tour player? Well, the first step is to treat your equipment like a tour player, and that means that you've got the right golf ball and you've got fresh grooves. Visit Vokey.com to see the spin research that Bob Vokey and his team have conducted to better understand how grooves wear over time. After 75 to 100 rounds of golf, you owe it to yourself to test your grooves to make sure that they're still getting maximum spin from your wedges. Find a fitter at Vokey.com for a spin test soon. Perhaps you've answered a follow-up question and your answer may be embedded into we study and we study and we study. The follow-up question I wanted to ask is how challenging is it to innovate within the constraints of the rules of golf related equipment design? It's really, really hard. You know, we have certain rules that we need to follow. The USGA and the RNA, they've done a great job in creating parameters that, that challenge us. And at the same time, you know, we need to become innovative. We need to keep studying. We need to keep learning from that and there's costs there's costs associated in it as well you know golf clubs are they're not cheap to make and every time we make something we need to we need to become more and more innovative we need to create things we need to be able to help guys improve at the same time you know sometimes you have to ask yourself is the juice worth the squeeze are mm-hmm. people going to be interested in spending hundreds of dollars on on something like a wedge and you know some guys might not be and we need to create something that produces the best results without forcing people to, to spend tons and tons of cash. So we, you know, we want to, we want to make something excellent that, that, you know, can cater to anybody who wants to play this great game. And we, we do our very best to do so. I don't know how much better, you know, we, we can do from time to time without, without creating something that's really, really expensive. But I will tell you this, this, this new line of SMA wedges, so jam packed with great stuff we're very proud of it. It's, it's a multi-material piece. And I think that our team of Kevin, Ron, Bob, everybody at Titleist did an amazing job on these. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And in speaking of, let's say, validating the quality and the time invested and the resources invested into uh, that innovation that you just uh, were elaborating on each week on the various tours as a staff of people conducting equipment surveys of what the best players in the world put their trust in. And I'm pretty sure as it pertains to the number of players choosing to put Vokey wedges in play when the report is released, it simply says all of them. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. Yes, we're, we're fortunate. And again, this you know going back to this job that I get to do, Working for the brand of Titleist and for Bob makes my job very simple. You know, I get a lot of phone calls That's every week. That's not true. <laughs> well, <laughs> I've I mean, seen you out there on the PGA <laughs> tour. I spent enough time with you to know you're solving problems. Come on, don't we're, be so you know, we're, we're, so, we're definitely we're solving problems. But at the same time, I'm grateful to be really busy. That means we're doing something right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I get to go out every day and make that make these different golf clubs for guys. But again, to your point, you know, when you have a great a great line, you're going to be really busy. And so I get I get the opportunity to work with a lot of guys every single week that are even a lot of guys that are non-titleist guys. You know, I get a chance to work with those guys and help them out too. So uh, again, you know, the product speaks for itself. It just makes my job that much easier. Just a little busier though. Yeah, indeed. Which courses or conditions offer up the greatest challenge or opportunity uh, for players to retool? Which are your busiest weeks, so to speak, outside of them being new product releases? Yeah, well, every every week is really busy, but I will tell you this: there, there's a shift in product as we move across the country. So this is our second week in Florida. We've spent the majority of the season on the West Coast. West Coast soil tends to be a little firmer, 
the grass tends to, to grow upwards. You know, it's a lot of rye. There's some zoysia, stuff like that. So it's a little bit different over there. Guys can get away with a little bit less bounce in those conditions. So, you know, we start with low bounce on the West Coast. As we make our way into Florida, we start to see guys struggle a little bit with some of the grainy Bermuda conditions we see at places like the, the Honda or, you know, maybe here at Bay Hill. You know, these guys will come to me and they'll say, hey, I'm struggling a little bit. Ball's popping up a little bit and having a hard time finding the bottom. The grain's catching the club. Mm-hmm. You, know, so, you know, so those are some common things we see. That's where we start to make some adjustments in bounce. Or we start to educate players on maybe the, the proper selection of what wedge you want to pull when you're in those situations. A lot of guys will just pull 60 or 58 or just maybe their lob wedge, whatever it may be. And, and, and that's their comfort club. And I, I get that. But there are some other ways that you can approach those situations that I think would, will make the results better and certainly make it a little easier on you to get good quality results. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely case by case it, you know, this week golf course is a little bit softer than I expected. So we are doing some bounce adjustments. Greens are going to firm up some. So we are including some, you know, some fresh grooves in the mix, but for the most part, you know, we're just kind of, we're taking it week by week. You never know really what you're going to get into. You, you certainly have your, you know, your instincts on things because you've mm-hmm. been coming to the place for so long, but it's case by case, week to week, player to player. I always go into it with an open mind and just try and help these guys individually on uh, their best ways to play great golf. And what frequency are players choosing to put a Vokey pitching wedge in versus the set wedge? And then up the top end of the bag, how frequently and what conditions, the volume of players, I guess, it's a really deep question there, are putting something more than a 60 degree wedge in? Yeah. So I'll start with the pitching wedge. I would say, and this may be kind of an interesting stat for, for anybody who's listening to this, is that the, the Vokey pitching wedge is really successful out here on tour. Over 65% of the guys that I make wedges for are using a Vokey pitching wedge. And they're doing that for, for you know basically three reasons. They love the shape. It's kind of a, a tweener. It looks a little bit like a wedge and it looks a little bit like an iron. So there's kind of a nice balance in the shaping. You've got more bounce on it. So it protects you, helps you flight the ball, gives you great stopping power. But the third thing that guys really love is they, they love the fact that when you put the spin mill groove in their hands, it reduces flyers. So from the fairway, guys can, can hit very similar shots. Their spin numbers don't jump you know, to, to crazy high levels. They might gain maybe 100 RPMs, maybe two. But where they really see the benefit is when they're in the rough or they're in situations where there's moisture, sand, any kind of debris that would change spin or launch numbers or carry numbers. You, know, you hear, hear guys go, oh, he caught a flyer, and it flies on the back of the green. The spin mill groove reduces flyers by a great deal. And so guys can you know, comfortably go into a situation where they hit a shot and they go, okay, I'm expecting to hit this 135 and it's going to, it's going to go about 135 yards, you know, it might plus or minus five yards, but at least it's not going to jump 15, 20 yards. So there's a lot of guys who, who love that. Those basically those three things right there. And then as far as exceeding 60 degrees of loft, you know, we've seen a shift in guys going to a little bit less. They're doing that for a couple of reasons. The first reason is irons are just getting stronger. And as those get stronger, you know, we need to close our gaps a little bit, or at least sort of rethink how we create our matrix of wedges. So we see some guys going to less loft, but as of the guys who go to, you know, 62, 64s, we've seen a drop off over the years. You know, there it's, it's a bit of a tricky club to use. You know, you've got to swing a lot harder than you think. You know, I know most guys just think, well, just I'll hit it like my normal 60. Smash factor real low, um, right? <laughs> yeah. Smash factor goes down, a, you know, a great deal. And so guys... Guys will hit it and they'll go, man, I got to swing a lot harder than I thought I had to, you know, and 
so there's some adjustment to it. I would say, you know, for me, I'm probably dealing with you know, between five and eight players that play anything uh, above a 60. You know, those guys are dabbling or, ex- or experimenting and, you know, trying different things. And then you get some guys like at, a, at an Augusta National that want to create some lift. And, and a 62 or 64 can be beneficial in those places, too. But for the most part, 58, 59, 60, maybe an occasional 61, that's that's you know, that's, those are my heavy hitters. You can fact check me here. I'm not too sure what the loft on it was, but we're out at Phoenix and playing a practice round is Jordan, Jimmy Walker, and they're hitting shots to that back right flag. This is not the back left flag beyond the bunker, but that platform at the kind of right middle side of the green from the collection yeah. area on the right side, just extremely short-sighted. And Jordan's hitting his flop shot with his 60-degree tee grind, and Jimmy's hitting whatever Vokey wedge he uses. And this thing is absolutely saucing. Um, I, I point to him. I'm up at the green watching these balls react and stop close to the phantom hole we've got there. And I said, Jordan, take a look at how Jimmy's doing it. He's really letting that that lead wrist extend through impact, and he's really hitting it with much less speed than you're trying to hit it with. Why don't you try that form? And so Jordan tries it a couple of times, unsuccessful to stop it as quickly as Jimmy stops. And he's like, Jimmy, <laughs> give me a look at that wedge. <laughs> and Jordan just shows it to me, and it has six something else other than zero on it. It might have been 61 or 62, or it might have been all the way to 64. He said, that's what the, that's the reason he's stopping it so quick. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's funny because, you know, Jimmy will use his, you know, will use his 64 as a great example. You know, in, in the offseason, this is probably December 2018, Jimmy... He texts me. He's like, hey, you, you doing anything right now? And I was like, no, what's up? So he calls me up and he goes, hey, I'm just kind of hanging out, goofing off at the club, and I kind of want to try a 64. And I didn't put much stock into it. It was more like, a, okay, cool, let's let's make one up, and you know, you can goof around with it. And I mm-hmm. told him, I said, if you, know, if you don't like it, you can just keep it at the house, and you can chip around the yard with it. The kids can have fun with it. And um, so I sent him one. And he calls me up probably three or four days later, and he goes, oh my gosh, this thing is ridiculous. <laughs> He goes, but I want to try one with less bounce. So I said, okay. So I went back to the office, made something a little different for him, sent it out. He's like, this is this is so good. I, it's a joke. And I saw him later, you know, early in the next season, and he had it in the back, and I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and every time I see him, he, you know, he'll kind of wink at me, and he'll he'll point out and he'll go, he'll just say, this thing's filthy, and yeah. he loves this club. And you know, those are those cool stories. And and Jimmy's really really good with that wedge. It's it's become a dear friend to him. He understands the value of it. But more importantly, he understands how to use it. And I think some guys are not great at understanding how to use it. They just kind of have their routine or how they do something. And it really only works with what they have in their bag. Sure. Sometimes adjustment can be tricky. But for Jimmy, it was just like he's he's got this way of just, you know, kind of like he says, he goes full send. And he'll swing hard and, and he can create some, some pretty magical shots with that club it certainly appeared magical when i watched it at phoenix and it <laughs> yeah. motivated me further to to investigate or try one but on that subject of value advice to the average joe or jane out there the recreational player who clearly doesn't practice as much but can you put into perspective or some context around how frequently the guys are changing week to week and then offer maybe best best advice for the average amateur out there and maybe through the lens of here's what you're giving up when your grooves are dull or when the wedge itself, whether it's the balance of the loft matrix does not fit you? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I will use Jordan as an example. Mm-hmm. Jordan's a great example of somebody who plays four wedges and is loyal to those four wedges unless something 
huge is going on where, you know, we have to make a change. But for the most part, I mean, he never changes. 46, 10, uh, excuse me, 8 degrees of bounce, 5208, 5610S, and 60T. As far as the replenishment schedule goes, we have uh, kind of a, a program that we share with our players when they first come on board or when we start working together. And it's a one, two, three, four system. It's throughout the calendar year. And we basically tell guys, if there's no damage to the product, you can go through one pitching wedge a season, two gap wedges, three sand wedges, and four to six lob wedges a year. And that's that's usually a pretty good schedule. And you, you look at a lot of amateur bags and you realize, like, this is the same wedge that, you know, you probably bought back in 2006. <laughs> maybe and longer than that. <laughs> it may be longer than that. And, and, it's, and it's crazy that, you know, we don't see guys switch more often. It's funny when, when guys do, they go, oh, my gosh, my flight looks so different. It's low. It's checking. I haven't seen it spin like that. <laughs> and I can't remember. <laughs> and we, we understand how important spin is because it, it spin and control are basically two things that go hand in hand. They are best of friends in golf, especially in the wedges. And so it's my job or part of my job to make sure that anybody who plays a Vokey wedge is outfitted with the right amount of spin that they need each week to be successful. And so part of my job is to go out to the range, check grooves, talk to guys. Are you seeing anything unusual? Are you getting spin? Are you are you, are, you, are you getting the control that you need? It looks like you might need something like I've spent the last two days on the range getting stuff prepared for the players just in case they need it for those greens. Getting stuff prepared early for Augusta National. Going through the motions of just kind of getting ahead of the curve and getting these guys thinking that it might be time to make a switch because we realize how important that is. And I always tell AMS, if you play golf and you play a lot of it, you need control around the greens. You know, you always should have a wedge that spins, certainly one that's your short game club. If you don't want to carry a bunch of wedges all the time, I always tell guys, hey, have one for practice. That's the old one. And get yourself a freshie that you can have in the bag when you go and play golf. It's really, really important. And I think once you show players that, the difference between a, a wedge that spins and one that doesn't, they'll pick the one that spins all day because it really does amount to a lot more control around the green. So that's a big part of my job is making sure that guys have fresh grooves. I couldn't agree more that... Uh... It's a tangible difference, not only in the player's perception, even for someone that's in the 15 to 25 or even a higher handicap range on a solid shot. The, it's discernible. Like we, we talked at the front end of this conversation about how good the best players in the world are at telling the difference between maybe a potentially half a, half a degree of angle change or difference. But even the average amateurs out there can see and feel the difference when a club will grab against the golf ball and produce that friction that uh, creates a stopping power and gives them better control and therefore better shots. But moving on, you were so quick to rattle off Jordan's loft and bounce matrix. I'm going to mm-hmm. challenge. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Can you rattle off Justin Thomas's wedge matrix for me? I can. He is a 4610 at 47 and a half. 52.12 at 52.5, 56.14 at 57. And he bounces back and forth between a 60T, and he's got a 60K uh, with 8 degrees of bounce with heel relief. He'll go back and forth on those. Both of those are 60.5 degrees loft. The pitching wedge is an X100. The 52, 56, 60 have S400s. They're all standard length. Standard swing weights. He's a half degree upright. Uses tour <laughs> velvet cords. 60 round label down. <laughs> I mean, I could. That's a mic drop, mate. Wedges, you're, you know, you're around wedges and golf clubs as much as I am. You know, you become really good at remembering these things because they're very important. And, yeah. and it's funny. I go to tour events every week, and 
um, guys come into the van, they go, Hey, I'm on the T in five minutes. Can you check lofts and lies? You know, you have to know these things on the spot. It's a big part of what we do. And it's a big part of how, how we, uh, gain the trust and, and get guys in our product because, you know, we, we care that much. We, we need to know that stuff. You know, I can say the same thing about Jordan's setup. I could say, say the same thing about a lot of guys setups that information for whatever reason is, is in my head 24 seven. So <laughs> I can, I can rattle off pretty easily. Let's go to the cool, the cool factor, coolest wedge stamp jobs. Oof, boy, there's been, there's been a lot over the years. So I've done a, a lot of, a lot of good stuff for, for Robert Streb over the years. I, I did the 17th hole at TPC Sawgrass on there one day, did the Valspar Chameleon, I did the the American flag on a piece for Justin Thomas. I've done tons and tons of stuff. You know, the stamping thing for me is is really really fun. It certainly comes second to the important work I have to do with outfitting these guys with the tools they need to, <laughs> to play golf. But I try and make the stamping thing fun, and I think it's a great way to tell a story. It's a great way to get to know these guys who they are off the golf course, and I encourage them to to share information with me that that sort of inspires me to to tell stories. So, yeah. so what percentage of the time does a player say, Hey, it's a blank canvas, Aaron, go to town versus uh, not. Yeah. I would say 20% of the time, Aaron, do what you want to do, mm-hmm. you know, have some fun. Uh, I certainly try and encourage everybody to give me some information. Sometimes it's something personal. It's, you know, my, my children or my spouse. Uh, sometimes it's something really deep, like maybe it's a, a Bible verse or maybe it's uh, I had a I had a guy tell me to put latitude longitude coordinates of where he was married or where his children were born you know so there there are some really cool things you can do with that you get things like radar which is what Justin Thomas likes on his stuff that dates all the way back to when he was um, a student at Alabama you know Jordan loves loves his alma mater and you know we we do all kinds of fun fun stuff that I think shares what these guys are, who they are with the public. And uh, that's a big part of my job. Do you have a special uh, muse inspiration that you go to when you get the blank canvas? Oh, that's a good question. I try and do stuff that's more artistic, fun patterns, color schemes. But I, uh, like I said, I always try and do something that relates to the player, to the individual, because I think that that's more important than just me doing something silly. You know, stuff like I did a really cool piece the other day for Ben on Ben on said, you know, surprise me. And I had this great idea of, uh, creating, you know, the, you know, like a name tag, like a stick on name tag that says, hello, my name is. <laughs> so, I, so I stamped, hello, my name is. And then I wrote Ben's name in, in cursive script. And I just thought that was a really cool idea. You know, you, you painted all kinds of wild colors and, and you can tell a great story. And I gave it to him and he goes, he goes, can you put on their soon to be dad? You know, this is before his, before his, his new baby was just born. And so, yeah, so and it's just fun to to be able to have that that creative freedom. But I but I certainly really like to collaborate efforts with the player. It's more fun for me that way. For sure. Moving to a final question, you've been great with your time and insight. Clearly filled with knowledge, and our conversations, as they typically do, can last a whole lot longer than this podcast enables us. But I'm very appreciative of what you've offered so far. A final question being people and events shape our lives. And what I wanted to provide you an opportunity is to express how Bob Vogie has shaped yours. Yeah, that uh, that's a really deep answer. Mm-hmm. You know, and some, when I think about the 13 plus years of time that I've been with the brand and I've and I've been close to Bob, you know, it does. It's an emotional question to answer. Bob is Bob is family to me. When I first started working for him. He was a legend. You know, anybody who who loves this game, they recognize the names Bob Vokey. 
Scotty Cameron, Roger Cleveland. You know, those those are like the godfathers of this industry. Those are the golf guys. And when I was a kid, I had a Vokey Wedge. And I never in my wildest dreams thought I'd get a chance to meet the man. And now I get a chance to work for him. When I started with, with Bob, he was so kind. He was so nice. Uh, he would let me pick his brain and bug him. And he would give me tons and tons of advice. And it was all so deep and meaningful. And it was so real. Because he's no different than you and I. He's he's as, as normal and as polite and kind and generous as you'd ever hoped he would be. And those are the little things that I take from him. You know, you, there's a lot of people in your life, and I'm sure you can relate to this, Cameron, that you know, you you looked up to and you took things from and you 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 studied and you watched and you and you took those things and you you added them to your life and I, and I took so many of, of the little things that that I kind of build my foundation around from Bob because of because of how great he is and you know he's he's like I said he's more family to me than he is a boss and a mentor he's uh, somebody that you know we have dinner together with he he hangs out with my kids and. To work for somebody like that is is a real treat and an honor, and I'm I'm very fortunate to have that to have that uh, in my life. It certainly is that way, and you represent all of those life lessons, the interactions, the way you relate to people every day that I see you on the PGA Tour range, and clearly you're embodying that spirit and living out those lessons learned, and we appreciate that. I look forward to the next time we cross paths here in the coming weeks at a tour event, and I know our listeners are awfully appreciative of the time you've spent with us uh, on the air today. Thanks for having me. It was great. I look forward to doing it again. Thanks very much for listening to this episode. If you want to learn more about Altus Performance, go check out altusperformance.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Team Altus and Instagram at Altus Performance. Also, thanks to Cordy Walker for his wonderful production work on this and coming episodes of Earn Your Edge. Earn Your Edge.